Thank you for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. For those who haven't yet heard, we've finally made our move into our new home in central Missoula. We'd love to see you Sunday mornings at 2010 3rd Avenue West and hope you're blessed by this online resource. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Um, And today as we conclude our study in the book of Proverbs, we are reminded of your infinite sufficiency to us. And Lord, as we look at a passage which speaks of love, care, and help that you would give us an affection, not only for the things in this world that point us to you, but for yourself, for your word, for the gospel which saves us, that we might be helpful people who love you and serve others. We pray that this text does not fall on mute ears, but it helps all of us, regardless of uh, male or female or single or married or widowed, that this is good news for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So here we are. We, we made it to the end of Proverbs. Uh, we went into this book uh, knowing a couple things lay before our church and it dictated why we spent 41 weeks uh, in Proverbs. We knew we were going to be homeless We knew that we were going to be in an increasingly polarized world. We knew we were looking into what might be the loudest and most contested election cycle we've seen. And on top of that, we did all of this in the midst of a global pandemic. But that's why we went into the book of Proverbs, because Solomon speaks of Lady Wisdom as one who goes to the head of noisy streets and busy intersections, and she raises her voice above all the things that cause us tension, fear, anxiety, out of all the competing voices, she calls to those who are simple, lost, and overwhelmed, and she reminds us of the God who runs the world and the God who is wise enough to solve our greatest problem of sin by keeping his promise to redeem us through his son. And so 41 weeks later, we've reached the end. And in God's inspired providence, he's laid for us a chapter which Devin just read, which so perfectly sums up everything that precedes it. And our prescript today, the first part of our reading is actually really important. So we see this in Proverbs 31, verse one. It says, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. And so here we're introduced, last week we met Agar. This week we're introduced to Lemuel, who's a king, who is otherwise unknown to us in scripture, but here speaks an oracle, speaks divinely inspired words to us. But what's interesting is the words that the Holy Spirit have so preserved for us in scripture from King Lemuel's hands are actually the words of his mother. And this is a really fitting ending for us in the book of Proverbs, because remember how Solomon opened this book back in chapter one, where he said this, hear, O son, your father's instructions, forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. And so here at the end of all things, here is the king, the son who listened to his mom. Here's the wise son who put wisdom to work. Wisdom from mom given to him, he kept them. He put them on his neck. And historians haven't found anything similar like this in the wisdom writings of the era. Never 
never have we found at least kings writing in the same time as Lemuel who have preserved a mother's words like this. But that's because this wisdom is unparalleled wisdom. Not simply because it came from mom and mom knows best, but that mom reminded Lemuel of what comes from God. The words of this text are not based in pragmatism, but in providence. She is acknowledging the wisdom of the Lord upon which rests all of our hope in life. Wisdom works because God works. Wisdom is reliable because the Lord is reliable. And as Lemuel here reflects on the wisdom which was, has endured him and his kingdom, he's going to call us to consider two portraits of endurance today. First, in verses one through nine, we're going to be introduced to the faithful king. And then in verses 10 through 31, we encounter this unique poem which holds up for us, regardless of our gender or our relationship status, the excellent wife. And what we'll see by the end of this passage is that the road to meaningful purpose, joyful labor, and flourishing relationships is a commitment to the words of the Lord. If you want clarity in life, joy, in work, and meaningful relationships, it stems from a man and from a woman whose fear is the Lord, who desires to submit all of their lives to the God of the Bible. And we're going to begin by examining our first point this morning. That's generally the best one to start with. And we're going to look at the faithful king. I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 9 once more. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? Eric's laughing because he gets the joke. What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women your way to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who's perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of those who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and needy. I remember playing tennis in high school and being so very frustrated that after a set, I threw my racket onto the ground and there was no teammate and no coach who cared, but I was summoned by a mysterious figure to the fence and there lurking in the shadows was my mother. And she said, what are you doing? She said, if you do that again, I will personally pull you from this match. I mean, I don't know if she had that authority, but we all act as if she does. And that warning from my mom has been burned into my head, and Lemuel here remembers a similar repeated warning from his own mother. Proverbs has often showed to us, us parents who feel exacerbated and sometimes at our wit's end, he has shown us the good promise of God's wisdom that parents, when they care about their kids and correct their wayward children, that they might turn out to have wisdom embedded and foolishness displaced. And here we see that Lemuel's mom had at some point spoken into his moral failures. And we know that because of what was laughed at three times. She's like, what are you doing, my son? 
What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Three times she appeals to his actions so we can assume that Lemuel is not reciting this from some sterile ivory tower of being the perfect firstborn child, but instead he's writing this from his own trough of failure and mistakes and the faithfulness of his mom to call him back to God's wisdom. And to call her son from this foolishness, his mom warned him of two errors. And they're two errors that we wrestle with with sin in our own hearts. And to categorize them, she warns first of desires which destroy, and secondly of delights which distort. And we see desires which destroy in verse three when she warns and says, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. And here we see this drumbeat that's been driving through Proverbs come back to the surface as we're reminded of the sins of sensual desires and lust, consumerism, which seeks to destroy us. And we live in a culture which promotes the exact opposite of the loving mother and of God's word. And that is, if anyone tries to curb your sexual expression in any way, then they are against the flourishing that you deeply need. And many of us, even if we reject that and think the Bible has something to say about our sexuality, how many of us actually obey with nothing more than white-knuckled obedience? Where we affirm that God has authority over our sexual lives, but we feel it to be this rigid mold that we kind of have to get comfortable with, even though it's keeping us back from what we really want. But this is why Proverbs is so helpful in the wisdom of not only Lemuel's mother, but Lemuel saying from his experience that this spares you from destruction. I pray that we not only make efforts to grow in holiness in areas of sexuality, but I pray that we pray that God gives us eyes to see the end of sinful, of sin in this area of sexual passions. That we see It promises deep desire, but it brings devastating destruction. And all Lemuel had to do as a king was look in his rearview mirror to see the dangers of this. He saw kings like himself, kings which you might feel like today feel empowered or entitled to take what you want and live how you feel in regards to sexual passions. But it was the blindness of sexual passion that led King David to kill an innocent man to cover up his power-driven affair. It was Solomon's thousands of wives which led even the wisest man in the world for a season to walk away from everything he promoted to be true. And even though Solomon came back and God spared his soul from destruction, it was his sin with women that led people of Israel into a bloody civil war where ultimately the kingdom was divided only to be restored later by Jesus Christ. You see, God knows that male or female, we will desire to be king or queens of our own sexuality and our own bodies. But here, through the words of a loving mother and a king who listened well, we see the hope to turn away from those desires And so secondly, we see Lemuel warning of delights which distort. There we saw desires which were dangerous, and then she points to delights which distort. 
Look with me once more. Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 7. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert all the rights of the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who's perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. And remember what we actually read earlier in Proverbs chapter 23. We see this in verses 31 through 33. Do not look at wine when it's red in the cup. Or do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. So here we see the danger of drunkenness is that it is a devastating distortion of what is true. Drunkenness proclaims peace when there is no peace. And in fact, uh, there's a, a bit of dark humor to the mom's warning in this text when she gives the advice to give strong drink to those who are dying. Her point is that the only possible use for such drunkenness is that if you are one who is perishing, you might drink enough to no longer feel your pain. And the irony of that is, is even though that person who might be dying no longer feels the pain of it, the reality is they're still dying. It proclaimed peace where there is no peace. The peace they have is an illusion and that is out of place for someone who is, in this instance, king. And it's actually here in this warning against delights which distort that we see the plea behind the mother's warning. Why should the king not be destroyed? Why should he not inebriate himself? Because when we distrust what is trustworthy and we trust what is not, we quickly lose our sense of purpose and clarity in life. When we turn away from what God has given to us and try to become masters of our own souls, we actually lose ourselves. Lemuel's mom does not want him to forget what it's meant to live for and what his role is here on earth. And we see this in verses eight and nine. She says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of those who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. We saw in verse five that those who drink forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. It is God's wisdom which reminds us of our true purpose and noble calling, which is summarized elsewhere in scripture, to love God and to serve others, to glorify God and to love others. And this wisdom here, this decree, which Lemuel isn't to forget, reorients our hearts so that he remembers the word of the Lord and blesses those around instead of harming those who are around them. One thing we've seen time and time again in our book of Proverbs is that wisdom is of corporate importance. It always affects others. And in contrast to the person who's distracted here from God's word, which we see in verse five, look at how Psalms one speaks of the blessed man. It says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it, he meditates day and night. 
in contrast to the sins which lead us away from the faithfulness of God's word, the wise one is the one who sits and meditates on it. Lemuel, who is king, gives wisdom to those who are not. If you wish to live in a way which preserves your life and blesses those around you, cling to the word of the Lord. Do not forget it. Trust its promises and taste its goodness. And the truth is, any of you who have faith in Jesus Christ are saved by a king who did all of this. You're saved by a king who said no to the devices and pleasures of the world and remembered the glorious purpose of honoring his father. We read of this king in Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11, where Paul says this, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Jesus is the faithful king who entered into the pleasures of this world and stayed singularly focused on obeying the Father and loving the afflicted. He obeyed faithfully at great cost to himself so he could do something to help those who couldn't help themselves. Good news, that's all of us. We were the ones mute in our sin, dead in our trespasses, But Jesus set aside the comforts of heaven, said no to the false promises of sin, and chose to die in our place. And you see, what what Paul says is, if we want to see the wisdom of King Lemuel, the wisdom of living a life focused on the word of God and loving others, we need to have this in mind among ourselves we must first learn to see the wisdom of King Jesus because it's only when we see what Jesus has done for us and that Jesus faithfully entrusted himself to God's plan, that he was glorified, raised again above all things, that all of the things we fear in obedience, Jesus endured it. He endured death. He endured the punishment for your sins, but God has restored him above all things. And when we see that Jesus has done that for us, we can then look at what Lemuel is calling us to and we can realize that we too can stay on track. That we can remind ourselves of the promise of the gospel and choose to be faithful to obey God and serve others. The faithful king and the people of the faithful king are those who submit themselves to the decrees of the Lord and in it find life in life abundantly. So here's your call at the end of this section is to see this king and to cling to this word and to lay down your your life for the goods of others. It's only after we see this commission to the faithful king in verses one through nine that we now turn and see the portrait of the faithful wife. And this is where we see our second point this morning, the excellent wife. 
And while the style of writing, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the end, the style of writing clearly changes here, beginning in verse 10. It's not lost on us that early on he's warning of women who destroy, and now we're meeting the faithful wife who gives life. Just as Jesus the king was encouraged to lay down his life for the flourishing of others, here's the portrait of an excellent wife who also lays down herself for the good of others. But what's unique in this text, because already when we start talking about wives, we start codifying if we're a wife, if we're a male, if we're married, if we're single, and we start hitting mute buttons and thinking about football scores and what we're going to do afterwards. I just want to put that on pause right now, okay? What's interesting is there's not a single command given to the wife in this text. In fact, instead, it's all descriptive of who she is. And who she is, above all things, we see in verse 30, she is one who fears the Lord. This doesn't mean that wives and women in a broader sense aren't to desire to emulate what is going to be read in this text, but it does point out something really important, and that is that here at the end of the book of Proverbs, Lemuel is after desire. He wants men to desire a wife who embodies this spirit. In fact, men, the book of Proverbs was traditionally used as kind of this rite of passage, this training program. When we think of Proverbs 31, we generally think of ministries to women. But Lemuel wrote this for you. Don't assume this is someone else's problem. He's speaking to your heart. He's calling you to desire the things which God himself wants you to desire. And similarly, there's all sorts of women from all sorts of backgrounds of life in this room. If there's one thing which is promoted above anything in this text, it's something that is attainable for each and every one of you. And we see this in verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. What we see here is a woman whose primary goal is to fear the Lord. The wisdom, grace, strength, and deep joy that overflows from the rest of this text begins here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We saw it in Proverbs 3. And here it comes back in the conclusion as well. And so what I want to do with this second half of the text, I want to do three things. First, I want to address it kind of in light of our... I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to address it in light of our cultural moment, how this text hits us as people living in 2021. And then I want to examine the three primary attributes of the excellent wife. And then lastly, we'll have just a couple points of application. So first, put on your listening ears. This, when, uh, this is something that's meant to stimulate our desires, to aspire to this, to think about what this would look like. This is verses 10 through 31. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings food from afar. She rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maiden. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. 
She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and holds, her hand holds the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. So the sense behind that is they're in warm clothes. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellent things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So here's the only command in this portion. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gate. Now, when it comes to this cultural moment, I imagine as the passage was read that if any of us do, which all of us have, presuppositions, they were all peaked at different angles at different times by this passage. And we live in regards to a secular culture right now at a time where gender, gender roles, and sexuality are all up for grabs. And so simply at face value, when we see that this is talking about a wife, we might find it to be a remnant of nothing more than an archaic, outdated culture. But what we see actually, if we look in this passage, don't we see descriptions of the kind of woman that our, path, that our culture would seemingly applaud? In fact, the language used here in Psalm 31 is used other places in wisdom literature to describe military men, fighting men. In fact, the word excellent here in the ESV and some other translations is translated as valiant. She is one who in verse 17 literally girds her loins for the battles of life. Here is a successful woman in the workplace, one who's busy in industry, generous to others, fearless and incredibly strong. And yet, the way in which this strong, wise, and independent woman uses her skills is not in the elevation of herself, but in service to everyone around her. And if you read this through a couple times, you'll notice there's these circles that build out. There's her husband, her family, her friends, those in her workplace, those in need around her. But also, this passage is part of a challenge to cultures inside the church. We live in a time where a healthy reassessment of gender roles is happening inside the church. We cannot escape, nor do we want to escape, what the Bible says about the complementary roles of the husband as head and the wife as helper. But we're beginning to assess whether our applications of head and helper are shaped by, primarily by scripture and by the gospel, or are they sh shaped by our own preferences. And so for many of us, we see rightly in this text, a wife who is a distinct homemaker, who serves her husband faithfully, who makes lots of food. But we also see a wife who speaks up with kindness, with the covenant wisdom of God on her tongue. 
we see a wife in whom the husband places his trust and extends faith to. We see a wife who is free to use her passions, skills, and giftings in the marketplace to serve God and others. What's also distinct is what we don't see. What we don't see in this text is any mention of the wife's sexual life. That's not to say that she's not intimate with her husband. In fact, there are other places in Proverbs which celebrate that. But it shows here that the nature of the excellent wife is that she is not only excellent in that she cares for her husband sexually. She's instead seen as things of greater importance to the husband, an active helper, a trustworthy source of gospel wisdom, and one whose primary goal in marriage is to fear the Lord with all of her heart. Men, this text is meant to be a corrective lens to your longings to those men who are single in here, to those men who expect things of their wives. Most of us frame our desires in a distinctly Christian way only in that we say, well, we want a Christian spouse. But if we're honest, what we really long for is perhaps simply the promise of beauty in the bedroom. But Lemuel here warns that beauty is in vain. Always in the book of Proverbs, we see that things are not as they seem. We saw the reprieve earlier that the call to wisdom is to be not wise in your own eyes. This means, men, that you need to be wise enough to see what is attractive in this text. You need to be wise enough to see what is not in this text. But then additionally, where actually this passage ends in verse 31, is he's calling all of us to give this woman her praise, which means that all of us in here, when we examine Proverbs 31, are meant to be inspired by the things that are presented in this text and the virtues that are held out to us as attractive. And so we see three of these, and they're kind of grouped roughly in order. First, we see that she provides for others. Did you notice the overwhelming sense of provision this woman has in verses 13 and 15, 13 through 15? She seeks woolen flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Here is a woman who is seeking her eyes are always on the lookout for how she might help others. She desires to provide and is like a ship that brings goods from distant lands for others to eat. She gathers supplies to clothe those who need covered. Just as the faithful king was called to consider the needy, here the excellent wife is driven to the shores of want by the winds of grace. She meets needs out of a generous spirit. But how does she provide for others? She uses the gifts that God gave her and she uses them faithfully. We see this in Proverbs uh, 31, 16 through 25. Listen to the labor that she does. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out to the needy. 
She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself, and clothing and fine, her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garnet, garments and sells them and delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at times to come. So here we see a woman who is a wise business person. She is considering fields. She's counting. She's thinking. She's perceiving her merchandise. She is not being thoughtless about anything that God has given to her. She is being wise in how her work meets needs in her surrounding. She's also an incredible craftsman. That's not to just say that she's really good at making art or has an Etsy store. It means with whatever gift that God has given to her, she wants to use those skills given to her by God to honor God and to love others. She puts her hand diligently to the tools, and we see cooking tools here. We see agricultural tools here. We see clothing-making tools here. And this is a needed correction to all of us, whether we are male or female, single or married. Proverbs' theology of work comes full circle once more, this time in the context of families and relationships. Here is a wife who is well-known and faithful, but also successful in the workplace. Our culture once more applauds these accolades, but it's interesting to note that the reason she's successful is not because she has a desire to advance her own name or her own fame. Instead, it's to serve and provide for others. She puts her hands to tools, not only so that she might give and open her hand, but that she can reach out and serve those who are around her, reach out to the poor, care for the needy, and provide for her family. And what's more, and this is astounding, this is why God's wisdom is the best wisdom, is that her faithful use of her God-given gifts allows her husband to use his God-given gifts. As she labors well, it frees up her husband to work faithfully, to be well-known and respected in the city gates and in the public square. This means that a wife is free to view her work and her vocation without the confines of legalistic burdens that we sometimes put on them. A wife is free and encouraged in this text to use her gifts her hands, and her heart while working in the home, if that is what allows her to glorify God and provide best for those around her. A wife is free to work in the marketplace with her gifts, her hands, and her heart, if that is what best allows her to glorify God and provide best for her family and for those around her. Isn't this a relief that we need to feel? This is the beauty of a, of a gospel view of work, and for women, I hope this provides relief. And for men, I hope this provides correction. Uh, newsflash, I'm not a woman. And so I don't know all the things that you guys face, but I have a wife, I have three daughters, I have the internet. And it appears to be that there is an immense amount of pressure placed on women to either outperform men in the workplace or to outperform other wives in the home. And I imagine that burden is inescapable and never ending. But the joy of the gospel 
is that if Jesus has met our need, if Jesus's performance is what truly counts, and then if your primary goal is to fear the Lord, then you know that God has given you the gifts to work at whatever you put your hand to and to know at the end of the day that God's affirmation of faithfully serving him and loving others is greater than any affirmation the workplace or social media could ever give you. That here, you are free to consider what God has given to you and meet needs and know that God will say, well done daughter of the living king. For men, I hope this corrects our false sense of importance as well. How easy is it for us to think that the goal of a godly wife is that she frees us up so that we can then go out and make a name for ourselves. That she needs to work for the glory of God, but we work for the glory of self. But Eve was not given to Adam so that Adam could make his name great. Eve was given to Adam so that Adam could make God's kingdom great and expand the garden and invite other people in to see the beauty of the king who dwelt with him. And when both men and women and husbands and wives accept that all of our labor is for the glory of God's name, then and only then do we have the joy of entering into these gospel-centered discussions about what it looks like for that husband and that wife to use their gifts to honor God and to provide for others. And as we all look at the excellent wife, may we all view our vocation, our hours, and our pay as something God desires not to build up worldly success, but to pour out our worship to God and love towards others. Everything she has, every gift she's given, she thoughtfully pours it out in service to God and others. That is the joy of the Christian work ethic. But secondly, she uses not only her physical skills, but she also uses her words to care for others. This is the second attribute. She speaks for others. Look with me at verses 26 and 27. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. So this woman is neither idle in her hands nor with her words. Here's the joy of a gospel-preaching wife. The teaching of kindness here, what's translated as kindness in the ESV, is this Hebrew word that we've talked about a number of times in the book of Proverbs. It's the Hebrew word for chesed, which is, it's kind of this wonderful word that we wrestle to describe in English, which is this kindness, this sweetness, this love that's based off this covenant-keeping communion with the Lord. And why is that important? Because what we see here is the wisdom with which she teaches is gospel-infused wisdom. It relies on God's covenant to be loyal and to love those around her. In 1 Peter, Peter reminds husbands that their believing wives are co-heirs with them in the grace of life. The beautiful joy of a woman who loves the gospel is that whether she is single and discipling a woman while meeting in the food zoo or married with a husband, she gets the joy and the privilege and the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit to remind others of the truth of Jesus' kindness to them. That a wife who fears the Lord, a woman, broadly speaking, who fears the Lord, 
sees that it is also her job to declare to those who are around her the wonderful good news of the wisdom of God and the gospel in Jesus Christ. And it is actually by this kindness, by this gospel awareness, that she then seeks to take care for her house by covering her house and guarding its ways with her words of grace. She provides for others in body and in spirit. So here we see a woman who is working all the time. Her light stays on late, comes on early. She's a ship bringing food. She's making all sorts of things. On top of that, she's meeting, she's discipling, she's praying, she's sharing. She is a busy, busy woman. But why does she do all of this? She does it for her joy. Do you see that? This is the last attribute we see, that she is praised by others. Look at verses 28 through the end. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So here we see the same place where the husband was praised. Now the wife also is receiving praise. And here again, we see the good promise of wisdom. Wisdom wants what's best for you. Wisdom is hard, isn't it? It's hard to trust God's eyes, not our eyes. But at every turn, the wisdom of God says, but it's worth it, I I promise. Just try it. How many of you who have had kids have had that, like you're so excited to introduce them to a new dessert or something that you know they're gonna like and they're just like, I'm not touching that. Like, no, you don't understand. Like, this is really good. And they're like, you said that about broccoli. We're like, no, but this like legitimately is really, really good. And they're like, no, we don't want it. Like, we do that with God's wisdom. (laughs) We see on every page of scripture God's wonderful faithfulness to those who obey him. And we thumb our nose at it. But here, this woman who when we look at this, we're like, this doesn't seem restful. This doesn't seem even practical. This doesn't even seem attainable. But it is for this woman's joy that she does it. It is a praiseworthy and deeply satisfying life. Now, God is not, this sounds like, again, Sovereign Hope Church, big God, little us. That's the premise of who we are. But sometimes we think that God is against us getting praised. But God desires to praise people who please him in the gospel. We are not met when we get to the end of all things with, you did adequate, here's heaven. We are met with, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little and I will make you faithful over much. God is against us desiring praise by the world's standards and he is for us desiring praise, seeking joy and wanting to be celebrated by God's standards. This wife, this busy, excellent wife leaves nothing on the table. She is not looked at across the fence by her neighbor and pitied by her busyness. She is satisfied deeply by knowing that every word of the Lord proves true. She is providing good. She is serving needs. She is giving her time and her skills. Why? For her joy. Because at the heart of the excellent wife is the fear of the Lord. If we miss that attribute in verse 30, this is a horribly oppressive text. 
This is a text that burdens and confines much as the Pharisees did in the New Testament. But what we see here is there's hope. Not only does this spare us from legalism, if you are a wife, but without that mention of the fear of the Lord, it would also perhaps seem that this kind of life, this joy-producing, other-pleasing life might be unattainable to those who are single. But what makes the excellent wife excellent is not ultimately her husband, is it? What makes the excellent wife excellent is a compelling desire for the fear of the Lord. The woman who fears the Lord is given the wisdom with which to live her life in a way that deeply satisfies her, serves others, and glorifies God. This is calling us first and foremost, not to the task of the work, but to the substance of it, which is giving the whole of our lives to God in joyful anticipation that he knows what's best for us. And this is where we zoom out for just two moments of brief application at the end. The first is that for those who either live in marriages or are longing for marriages, that is to look at marriage God's way. I often call marriage long-form discipleship. And that's because marriage is the longest relationship of you helping someone follow Jesus you will ever have in your life, Lord willing. Friends will get jobs, kids will move away, Roommates will hopefully move out, but wives stay forever if we're lucky. And here we see that this is of serious importance. Marriage is meant to help us follow Jesus. Marriage is not a place where you finally get your greatest partner in life and you get to go live joy for what you want to. Marriage is this wonderful place where two oxen who are hauling for the glory of God get joined together to increase worship, to increase productivity for the kingdom of God, and to find deep reward while doing it. Similarly, husbands, your goal in marriage is not to find a wife who pleases you in the comforts of your flesh, but instead one for whom you desire to pour out your own flesh. Look at how Paul speaks of this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and following. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. Just as wives are called as helpers to serve those around them with their gifts, so husbands are called, like Christ our head, to lay down our lives not, isn't it interesting? When we think of husband as head, we often think of Christ coming on the white horse with a host of soldiers behind him, but that's not what Paul holds up, is it? He doesn't hold up Christ triumphant. He holds up Christ the servant. Christ who gives his life, who washes us with the word, who sees the weaknesses, the insecurities, and the burdens and said, here is the hope of my blood. Husbands, are you willing to see that as praiseworthy? 
to love your wives as your wives are called to love you. And just as husbands progressively grow in looking like Jesus, so too do women progressively grow in looking like Jesus. That means women, if you look at Proverbs 31 and you say, that's not me, that is unattainable, that is bad news for today because I don't look like that at all. There is wonderful hope in the gospel for you. Jesus changes us. Men, if you look at this and you start looking around at the ladies who are in here and you say, where's my Proverbs 31 wife? You better hope that they're not looking at you saying, where's my Jesus? Because that's not gonna work out well for you either, okay? No one walks into this process perfect. But the wonderful good news of the gospel is that Jesus perfects us. We're looking for trajectory in these things. We're looking for, are they growing? Are they humble? Are they willing to be loved by Jesus and cared for by others? Man, there is wonderful, wonderful hope in the commands of holiness because Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit. Here in the end of a book on wisdom, we see the wisdom in which we are to view marriage and it is not how the world views it. Christian marriage is a sphere in which we get to uniquely help each other follow Jesus in a way that expresses Jesus' love for the church and models humble sacrifice to one another. But secondly, there's an application in here for all of us, whether we're male or female, single or married, and that is that we lean into God's excellent wisdom. So this poem is an acrostic. For those of you who remember high school English or literature class, classes, an acrostic is like when you go and you say, like, I love mom, and mom stands for like meals, only meatloaf or something like that. Like you take the first letter of each thing. And here this is an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet, meaning each line from verse 10 to 31 progresses through the ABCs of the Hebrew alphabet. And they do this partly to convey that there is a sense of completeness and a sense of perfection here. This is the complete total package. We are called to emulate her and to desire to be like this woman to the degree the Holy Spirit empowers us to both as male and female. But also this kind of helper in perfect consistency is impossible from our perspective. No wife can do this all the time in the same way where no husband can be Jesus all the time. Spouses and even church members will fail to help one another follow Jesus and we will inevitably sin against each other and need to ask for repentance. But lady wisdom will never lead us astray. Remember throughout the book of Proverbs, wisdom was personified as this woman calling us to her. A woman who, or Solomon says, as this wise father is one who you should take as your spouse. Look at Proverbs 7, verses four and five. Listen to the intimate language of this displacing affection we're to have for wisdom. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Here is the woman who doesn't lead you to destruction. Here is the wisdom of God, which is always true. The woman who is more precious than jewels, we saw in Proverbs 31, verse 10. We also see in Proverbs chapter three, verses 13 through 15. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than silver and her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Remember the excellent wife who is hard to find. Look at the beautiful partner of wisdom in Proverbs 8, verse 17. This is Lady Wisdom speaking. And what does she say? She says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. 
for all of us in here who come to God through Jesus Christ. There is a faithful helper and lover for you in the words of scripture. There is one who wishes to give us gain, who protects us from the desires which destroy and delights which distort. And that is in his wisdom, God has given to us his word and his Holy Spirit. And this is why there is good news for us that we do not have to be married to be Christian. We can apply this text by striving to live each and every one of us as faithful kings and as excellent wives. But for each of us, God has already provided the faithful king and the excellent wife in his wisdom. Meaningful purpose, joyful labor, and flourishing relationships are available to any of us right now with the partner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are not for want of joy, of intimacy, and of wisdom. For those who feel alone in a conflicted world, wisdom reminds us that we have a helpmate. For those who feel unloved when we encounter our own sin or the sins of others, wisdom comes to us as the faithful lover to declare to us the love of God for unlovable sinners like us. As you sit here today, we leave Proverbs longing for the intimacy of wisdom so that we might cling to it, know it, and love it. That we might see the king who is faithful to rule and his wisdom which is faithful to love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words. Lord, we repent of places where we arrogantly encounter passages and assume we already know how it speaks to our station in life. And Lord, we ask that wisdom become beautiful to us as Jesus becomes beautiful to us. That we entrust ourselves to a faithful God while doing good. Lord, we pray for the desires of each and every heart in this room. Lord, we pray that ultimately our desire for acceptance, for peace, for delights, that those are met in Jesus who proved the failures of the world to ever meet those needs, but died for our sins so that we can be restored to the God who is all satisfying. And because of that, Lord, I pray our desire towards our singleness, our desire towards a potential relationship, our desire for the spouses or fiancés that we already have is shaped and groomed and upheld by a fear of the Lord that we have purpose in everything because we realize that Jesus has restored us to God through faith. We pray this in your name, amen.